there are two things that I know to be true. I shouldn't have gained but I know that I have. If you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. By some standards, uh, today is just another day. Uh, And in some sense, I, I suppose that's true. Um, but history and time and culture and most of all the providence of God uh, has made it more than just another day. Today is the beginning of a new calendar year. The year number will not remain uh, the same. Uh, Even our worship guide Uh, if you'll look on the front cover, uh, reflects the number of this new year. I was thinking about this, is that while we've written January 1st, some of us a lot of times, and some who are not quite as old, maybe not so many times, unless we were planning for 2023, we have not written 2023. But today, we will. And uh, for the next days of this year, we will, and we will continue to refer back to 2023. Uh, So while it's another day and the beginning of another year, um, why is that so significant? I, I propose to you that it is significant. You know, financial records will be closed based upon yesterday's date. Uh, new books and new budgets uh, began and begin today. Uh, well, we know that life is really more fluid than that. It doesn't just begin and end and stop in those kinds of general terms as it pertains to days. Um, just doesn't stop that abruptly. And that's true of financial records as well, I suppose. Businesses continue, things continue to go. The year end is more of a kind of a built-in date, if you will, for updating accounts. And some things do end, and certainly things begin. I wonder what should end and what should begin for me, for OVC, for you. I laid awake most of the night contemplating that for my own life and for Oak Valley. Those are hard questions, uh, but but helpful. Thankfully and hopefully, uh, we have been well-conditioned, if you will, to work through these things. And there will not be cookie-cutter answers for any of us in regards to our life about the things that end and the things that begin. But there probably should be some things. Maybe a bad habit needs to end, or maybe one needs to commit to follow Christ. That would be a good beginning today. Hopefully each of us will work through these questions and we'll help each other along the way. I want us to take the 
next few minutes and and our time of intercession will be for this year uh, for 2023 uh, and I want to invite you to join me as we pray Lord God we bow before you acknowledging that you have given us our days we gather here as a body of people some y'all old and some young we know that you planned our days in eternity past. You providentially delivered us and brought us into being through your procreative means. And, and you brought us into our respective biological families. And, and for some of us, you may have sustained us through the care and provision of those with whom we are not biologically connected. But we thank you today for the ways you have provided for us and sustained us. Today is January the 1st, and we know that you know that the first day of this year. We are just now beginning to know this year, but you have known this day and all those in the past and any that will be in the future since before the foundation of the world. We come to you knowing that you know all things and that you have planned all things. You know what this year will hold for us individually and as a body. So we come today asking you for your favor. We come today seeking your face and your mercy, and your grace. Grant us a close and intimate sense of your presence this year, O oh Lord. Grant us grace to know your closeness and, and not feel removed or separated from you. We cannot survive apart from you, and we most thrive when we enjoy intimacy with you. Your word tells us to seek you while you may be found. God, we come to you today stating that we long for you. We know that you're the greatest joy. May you really be our greatest joy this year as we seek to do your will and follow you and love you and serve you and honor you. We know that sin abounds and we expect temptations, but we know that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So we ask for grace even now as we are certain that we will sin and for the power of grace to free us. Help us as we seek you, O Lord. Father, you place people in our lives who have not yet professed faith in you. God, use us individually and corporately in the lives of these precious souls that we may be instruments of reconciliation to their coming to faith in you. Father, we ask that you'll grant us as a church to see the impossible things happen this year. Help us to see people saved, lives changed, the sick healed, the addicts set free, and those in various bondages delivered. Grant that every person currently gathering here with the, at OVC will come to know you. We ask that you provide for us a place to meet permanently. Bring those to us that need us and those that we need. Father, you're holy. You're righteous and loving. You're sweet and kind and good and gracious and just. Help us each day this upcoming year to be amazed by your glory and wonder. Help us not to fall prey to prolonged periods apart from your word or, or not being attentive to meditation and prayer. Please, Father, grant us grace in this year of exponential spiritual growth and cause that to spill over into our witness. Father, grant us grace to love each other well this year. 
cause that to make us love others well, attending others' needs unselfishly. Bring about a work in us that we come to love you more. God, we know we should, but help us to fight the sin in our lives that hinders our greatest love for you. Lord God, give us a vision for our lives that goes beyond our personal, educational, career, financial, and material success. Cause us to see our lives as a sacrifice for your kingdom's growth. Protect us from wasting our lives and our time that you give us, wasting it in idleness or in activities that simply are for our own personal pleasure. And help us to find balance and perspective in our living. Grant us endurance, O Lord. We know the days ahead are likely to be filled with challenges that we have not yet known and losses that we have not yet experienced and hurts that we have not yet felt. Strengthen us, O Lord, and sustain us. Grant us joy in every season as we find ourselves before you pleading for and receiving your precious mercy. Finally, O oh Lord, continue to enrich our lives as we seek to attend your word faithfully and worship you rightly in a spirit of humility and standing in awe of your greatness. Father, be patient with us for our sanctification. Holy Spirit, please fill us up. Lord Jesus, please intercede for us continually. We cannot survive a moment apart from you, O oh Lord, and your work on our behalf. Grant these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is January the 1st, 2023. It's our fifth and final Sunday of our Advent series. We stated last week that we've been attempting to consider Advent by looking through specific lens. Uh, and the lens that we stated that we're using is the lens of God's love. If you have, uh, hopefully you have already recognized through the course of the service today, there is a bent toward giving consideration to the love of God. There's a reason for that. In, in John's epistle, we read these words. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now the context for John writing that is, is just to help us to understand how God works in us. But he makes this point that God is love. And that it is the love of God that is made manifest in the sending of his Son. And that's been our argument all along. As we have looked at it, we have said that Advent is God's loving response to certain things. In other words, this is how God loves, and He has manifest that love in sending His Son. We've argued this, and in fact, the very first week, God sent His Son into the world because He loves certain things. He stated that He loved those things. 
He loved His Son. He loved His Son most of all, and He sent His Son to accomplish the work that would ultimately give His Son everything. And we have talked about it even as we sang this morning, Come Behold the Wonders Mystery. It makes no sense to us. But it made sense to God. God wanted His Son to have everything. And the way that His Son was going to have everything that God was promising Him, that offspring, those that God had said, these are yours. Those that Jesus said, and I have kept them, and I have not lost a one of them. But we also recognize that God said that He loved His Word. We said that every promise of God was yes and amen in Christ. In other words, had He not sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and had Christ not died for our sin, had He not been the propitiation, had He not been the atonement, had those things not been done, then the promises of God, all that came together and culminated in that one act, they would not have been kept. But God loved His Word and He kept His Word. On December the 18th, uh, we saw that God's Word told us that He loves justice. In fact, the psalmist said it exactly that way. He loves justice. And He will not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever. And then we heard from Romans chapter 3 these words. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. And it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then... We heard from Acts 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man. That man being Christ Jesus, whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. What was the point? God loves justice. And the only way that justice was going to come about was for God to send His Son. So the advent, the coming of Christ, the coming of this baby, the incarnation, was a response from God saying, I love justice, and to accomplish that, I am sending the one who will be the judge. And then last Sunday on Christmas Day, we said that God loves peace. Absolute and perfect peace existed in the relationship among the Godhead. I was just dwelling on that again this morning, of just how, just how beautiful that relationship is, was in eternity. Needed nothing. Everything was calm, much different than our lives. No confusion, much different than our lives. Peaceful sometimes much different than our lives. And God is not a God of confusion, but He's one of order and peace. And in Christ, He sent the Prince of Peace. We looked at it from Isaiah. The Father sent Him to restore peace and establish a kingdom of peace where peace with God was restored. How? By Christ's atoning work. 
And Jesus' offspring can experience divine peace, the only lasting and eternal peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. At every turn, we see Advent as a loving response from God for those things that He said, these are the things that I most care about. And we're going to conclude our time this morning by considering Advent God's loving response to the world. You can probably think of any number of passages of Scripture to turn to to support that. Probably the very first one that comes to your mind is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But that wasn't the text that I was drawn to. I was drawn to this particular text here in 2 Corinthians. And I want us to look at it, but I want to build the context for it by backing up in chapter 3. Our focal text uh, will be primarily uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But I want us to back back up, and I want us to look there in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which has been brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we're very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil, unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, holding, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Will you join me as we pray? Father, will you help us in these next few minutes to become decidedly convinced that there is nothing greater than your glory and that you have demonstrated your love to this world by allowing us to see the fullness of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ, your Son. Help us in this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know that there's a more significant, important text in all of Scripture. I really don't. We won't have time to unpack it, uh, but I, I do want to give you a little bit of background. And, and then we'll make the point that our focal text makes and, and, and try to see it in the context of our purpose. Uh, first, remember this. Paul had gone to Corinth from Athens and ministered in Corinth. He'd been there about 18 months, in fact. He passed on from there and he went to Ephesus and he stayed there for three years. We covered this background uh, a a few weeks ago. But while he was in Ephesus, he had received the word that the church in Corinth was facing some challenges. So he writes a letter, and he sends that letter by way of Timothy to take to the church. And Timothy goes, takes the letter to the church, and then he returns back, and he reports back to Paul uh, about what's going on there. But at the close of Paul's first letter, and if you'll flip back a couple of pages, Paul says this in verse 5, of that last chapter, chapter 16. He said, I'll visit you after passing from Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. There was an expectation on the part of the church at Corinth that Paul would come back and visit them. And we find when we get to chapter 2, or Second or Corinthians, if you'll look, in verse 15 of chapter 1, he said, because I was sure of this, um, he said, uh, I, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So it's clear that he never made the visit. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the fact that he didn't come back led some to judge his character, said that he told a lie, that 
he really didn't care about them. And if he told a lie and he really didn't care about them, then even the gospel that he was preaching was tainted in some way and may not even be true. So 2 Corinthians is primarily Paul defending his apostleship, but even more than that, he's defending the gospel that he has been preaching. And we look and see what he says. Uh, he said, your lives were transformed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, look in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We saw it. He said, and we're beginning to commend ourselves again, or do, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on your hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit. In other words, he said, your own lives bear witness and testimony that the gospel that was preached to you is true. And it's evident because the Spirit of God is in you, and though you are having challenges and you are having difficulties and struggles, he said, your lives bear witness to the power of the gospel. And all through the course of this text, we keep hearing about the glory, the glory of God. Now, when we read, you probably recognize, even beginning there in verse, in verse well, even back in verse 3, uh, we see that uh, you're written not with ink, uh, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, which causes us to think about what? Causes us to think about the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? And then he goes on to say, And such is the confidence that we have in Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient. And then he goes on and he says, he says, because the, the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Now if, in verse 7, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, again referring back to the Ten Commandments, come with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. And he is repeating this idea of the glory of God. And there is a reason for that. Because Paul is pointing to the fact that the glory of God is seen unveiled, completely exposed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, where the Ten Commandments and the law were not intended to save and couldn't save, in fact, in some sense, God's glory was even veiled in that. Because if you remember, when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law, Remember that he was in God's presence and he didn't know it, but he had been so affected by the glory of God that when he came down from the mountain, his face literally glowed like a light bulb. I mean, it was just so bright that people couldn't even stand to look upon him because of the effects of the glory of God on his life. And then when he realized it, he veiled himself. And we see throughout the course of that when he goes into the tabernacle, uh, he, he veils himself when he comes out. Why? Because the glory of God is just that phenomenal. It is just that great. And it is the world that needs to see the glory of God. We need to see the glory of God. In fact, God, I'm arguing today, loved the world so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the Advent, so that we could see in full display unveiled glory. Unveiled glory. 
And Paul's argument is, is that you have seen the glory of God in the Christ that we have preached and taught you. And that is evident because the Spirit of God is transforming your hearts. The Spirit of God is transforming your hearts. Now how did all that relate to the law? Well, the glory of God was being shown through the law. Uh, but the law wasn't the full radiance of the glory of God. Therefore, it couldn't save. Only the unveiled glory of God ultimately saves. It's when we see and recognize the glory of God in Christ. And we know that's true because when we look over there in chapter 4 and verse 6, for God said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Unveiled. Unveiled, mind you. Unveiled. He knew we needed to see His glory. There will be transformation in our hearts if we don't recognize the glory of God. Those who recognize the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and believe and trust in Him, become overwhelmed with awe and adoration. That is what brings about worship. When we talk about coming here and worshiping, we're not talking about just singing songs. We're talking about longing to hear God's Word read. We are talking about longing for that Word to pierce and penetrate our hearts and mind. We are talking about wanting to have the opportunity to express praise and adoration to God. It's, it's not a system. It is a longing of the heart having come under the unveiled presence of the glory of God. Notice what else Paul says. He says the Holy Spirit unveils the glory of God. Look in verse, in verse 12 of chapter 3. Since we have such hope. Hope in what? Hope in the saving power of the Spirit. That's where the hope is. Not in a saving power in the letter of the law, because the letter of the law will not save. Why? We can't keep the law. We can't keep the law. The law, this, the, the law showed us the glory of God in His character and nature and helped us see what we were not, but pointed us to look at Him and see what He is and what we are not, thereby causing us to long to be with Him and have life with Him because apart from that, there is no life. Hear that again. Hear that again, and we prayed it just a moment ago as, as, as we prayed for this upcoming year. We can not exist apart from God. We can't. Life will have absolutely no meaning apart from God. Your life will mean nothing apart from God. And in the end, apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we will die and spend eternity separated from Him, bearing His wrath forever and ever and ever. You say, are we ever going to leave the gospel? The advent was the good news that, listen, now you can see the glory of God unveiled and you can see Him for who He is and you can see and recognize the degree to which He loves you. The degree to which He loves the world because He has unveiled and He has 
opened himself up for us to see and to know who he is. And he has made it possible for us to see the degree to which he has gone to to give life the life of his own son. You see, the glory of God is shown in the face of Christ Jesus. And it is the Spirit of Christ that unveils and discloses. Back at verse 12, we have this hope. We're bold, not like Moses, who had put on a veil to, to a veil over his face so that the Israelites might, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. In other words, the longer Moses stayed away from God, if you will, the longer he was separated and not in the presence of God. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But when he came out, eventually being removed from God, that glory, the essence of that glory, and the effects of that glory would diminish. It would diminish. And the law would not bring that back. That's the wonder of the Spirit of God in us. And it's the reason why we see in verse 18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see the comparison? Moses' glory was diminishing. The glory of the believer is being transformed and is being brought from one degree of glory to another. Why? Because we are not outside of the presence of God because the Spirit of Christ Himself lives in us and is transforming us. That's the reason we're here week after week encouraging each other, but also pointing each other to the fact that a profession of faith, a baptism, all of those things being important at the end of the day, are not the same as lives being transformed. And that's not just a catchphrase. It is literally the transformation of the heart and the mind of the believer from one degree of glory to another. And see, God has loved us, loved the world enough that He has sent His Son so that His glory is completely unveiled. And that those who would trust in Him then would be transformed and that glory would be being built up in them from one degree of glory to another. What does that mean? Well, Paul helps us understand that in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, you may want to turn there. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Paul writes, in, in beginning in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. See, we already see the law kills. The letter of the law kills. It brings death. It condemns. We just read that. All of those things. No, he said, he said a, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. 
that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that is a picture, friend, of that one degree of glory to another. To have that kind of mind. To live in that kind of way. To long for that. And then he says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And then finally, the ministry of the gospel is granted by God's mercy. Look in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul's already said that he is a minister of a new covenant. He wasn't coming preaching the law as a means of salvation. And hear me say today, the law is wonderful. The law is great. It's the Word of God. We'll give attention to it beginning uh, next week as we begin our track through Exodus. But what I want you to hear is, is that it was never intended to be a means of salvation. But it was intended for us to be able to see the righteousness of God and to recognize our sinfulness and our need for Him and for a Savior. And then Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore having this ministry, that ministry of a new covenant, by the mercy of God. I want you to dwell on that for just a moment. By the mercy of God. Not because He chose it, not because he was doing anything in it other than being an instrument, as we prayed just a moment ago, and he goes on and talks about this uh, in just a, a little bit in a couple of other chapters, but uh, ministers of reconciliation. In other words, believers are instruments in God's hand reflecting this ongoing, growing glory, giving and offering praise to God, and pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing. That's what we sang about this morning. That's what we prayed about this morning. I've been working through the Psalms with a couple of folks, and uh, I, not bragging, but I would just tell you, I, and, and, I, and if you say, Jimmy, text me every day. I'll text you every day. And remind you of the text. But for 76 straight days we've been working through the psalm. Today was Psalm 76. And the psalmist said that God is known in Judah. God is known in Judah. And He has established His place. He's established His residence. He has established His presence in Jerusalem. And I started thinking this morning when I was working through that text, I said, my goodness. He had established His presence in Jerusalem in the temple. But where has He established His presence now? He has established His presence and taken up residence in me. And He has established and He has taken up His residence in every person here who is trusted in Christ. 
And as people knew that God was known in Judah, I want them to know that God is known in me. But I want God to be known in Wilmington. And I want God to be known in this community. And I want God to be known in northern Ghana. And then I started thinking, my goodness, we're going to pray today. Pray for what? Pray for hundreds and even thousands of people in this city and in northern Ghana to come to know God in the way that He was known in Judah. So that His presence would be established in them, in their temple, in their heart. And I want to encourage you to pray that way, but I'm saying that because this is a work of God by the mercy of God. Paul says this ministry is by the mercy of God. Therefore, we don't give up. We don't lose heart. We're not going to change the message. He goes on and says that in several ways. We're not going to change the message. But he says, if it is veiled. Now he's going back to the covering up of the glory of God. He says, if it is veiled, in verse 4, verse 3, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It's veiled to those who are lost. It's veiled to those who are dying. It's veiled to those who, who have death written upon their lives. And in their case, speaking in the case of the lost, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To what extent? Let's look at it. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Moses was in the presence of God in His glory. Israel saw the reflection of that glory even upon Moses' face. But now we are not talking about the law, and we're not talking about a diminishing glory, but we are talking about an ongoing, growing glory in the presence and in the face of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God wanted to make sure that the world would know His glory. He wanted to make sure that you would know His glory. And where do you see it? In the person of Jesus Christ. That's the reason Paul said, this Christ is who I preach. It's the reason that we sang earlier that we would not boast in anything. We would not proclaim any person we would not point anyone to any other place or person than the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you see and begin to get a grasp of just how awesome God is and His love for us in sending us Christ Jesus so that we would see His glory. And apart from us seeing His glory, There'll be no desire to follow Him. There'll be no desire to tell someone about Christ. But once we see His glory, once we look at His glory in the Lord Jesus Christ, man, our hearts will explode. And our lives will be transformed from one degree of glory to another. I want to draw attention to one last thing. There is 
demonic resistance. But notice in verse 6 of chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Pointing back to creation, mind you. I want you to kind of, kind of get your mind here now. Pointing back to creation. There's a God who created everything out of nothing. From nothing. Whatever's here, is here because God spoke it into being. And He spoke light into existence from nothing. And that light now illuminates. And it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. Now notice, Paul takes that image, he says now, has shone in our hearts to give the what? The light or the illumination of the knowledge of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Continually say, trust in Christ. Trust in God. See His glory in Christ. And trust in Him. There, there is where we find life. In closing, verse 7, but we have this treasure. What treasure? The light of the glory of the gospel. Life in jars of clay. To show what? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What power? The power of life. The power to proclaim. The power to preach. The power to go. The power to be used by God. We're nothing more than an instrument. What does that mean for us? Our, our last Sunday of Advent, and we're past Advent, but our last Sunday of Advent. I really do believe that 2023 is going to be an incredible year. And I'm not sitting here just saying that. I think it will be an incredible year if we see the glory of God in Christ and that it has its work and effect on us in the way that it will if we see it, if we accept it, if we trust in Him. And I do believe that we will see hundreds of people come to know Christ. We will. As we proclaim the Gospel. I, I just want to challenge you in that area. And encourage you again. You say, are we ever going to leave this? Leave the glory of God? No. Stop pointing each other to the glory of God in Christ? No. We're not going to leave that. We're not going to leave that. Because therein is where the transformation of life takes place. God demonstrates... His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us.